Thank you. And uh, of course, uh, we might sing a song that talks about the ancient words, uh, referring, of course, to Scripture. But here's the amazing thing. There's a freshness in the Scriptures, isn't there? And uh, sometimes we can come uh, to a section of Scripture that we have read many, many times, and suddenly there it is, a fresh angle, a fresh view of what is being spoken to us, and we rejoice in that. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah had <coughs> warned the people of Israel that if they turned away from God, <coughs> I, I'm sorry, my throat's a little bit scratchy today because I, I've had another of those ERCP procedures and it's uh, not easy when they put something that resembles a hose pipe down your throat <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> and so on. So forgive me if I struggle a wee bit. But... Jeremiah was gracious in that he tried to warn the people. Um, he warned them not to worship and to follow idols. Because if they did, God would bring judgment upon them. The commandment that the people knew was that you shall have no other God besides me. Now, we considered uh, that Jeremiah chapter 3, and by the way, if you have uh, your Bibles, um, we're going to be turning to all the little bits of yellow paper in my Bible if uh, we can do that. So a good place to start would be to turn to uh, Jeremiah and just have uh, the prophecy opened. Um, it's uh, one of the major prophets, and uh, it's uh, one that if you were able to come along on the I think two Sunday evenings during December when I was able to speak, uh, we began to look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 10. But Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22 is really the key verse in understanding the prophecy of Jeremiah. And it simply reads this. It says, return you backsliding children and I will heal your backslidings. Now, that verse in itself is, first of all, a very, very wonderful verse because it talks about the faithfulness of God, doesn't it? <coughs> when we come back to God, when we've walked away from Him, He welcomes us back. And as we begin to think of that verse, we perhaps think of the parable of the prodigal son. And the father is looking in the distance for his son to return. And that helps us to begin to see and to understand that the God that we have is gracious. But of course, the verse also tells us a lot about ourselves because so often the slightest thing can take our attention off of God and we suddenly find ourselves walking, maybe very subtly at first, and then suddenly we discover that this begins to happen. And instead of remaining close to God, we've veered off. We found an easier route. Well, we think it is. And so we have uh, tended to drift. Now back to Jeremiah chapter 10. You'll remember that on those evening services, if you were able to come, we recognized that the prophet was talking about not following the idols of the Gentiles, 
<clears throat> and then we come to, and we spoke about it briefly, uh, which was verse 10, uh, verse 10 through to verse 13 of Jeremiah chapter 10. And I'll just read some of these verses to us. But the Lord is the true God. You see, first of all, the prophet talks about the idols and the fact that they're not real. And then he pulls us right the way back, and in verse 10 he says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish before the earth and from under those heavens. And I'm hoping that next week we will be able to take that verse uh, 11 of Jeremiah chapter 10 and lead us into who this God is and to talk about prayer. Because if you can remember a while back, I had said that we need to deepen our prayer lives, all of us, but as a church we do. As a church we need to uh, spend more time in prayer because as a church we need that. As a church family we need that. As a church which endeavors to be a lighthouse in a community which is dark, we need to be people who are prayerful. So verse 10 and the verses that follow, 11, 12, 13, they're truly magnificent verses. Because everything that the idol is not, God is. But the people didn't listen to Jeremiah. And they went after worthless, worthless idols. They turned their backs on God. They drifted away. And because they had done that, Jeremiah had warned them and said, if you do this, God's judgment will come. And so if we turn forward in Jeremiah's prophecy to chapter 25, and just look very quickly at verses 9 to 11, we begin to see the situation developing and being taken forward. And so in verse 9 we read, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land because its inhabitants and against these nations all around and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation, and as an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And of course, as we look into the scriptures, we discover very clearly that that's exactly what happened. So the people turned away from God and God had said, you will be taken into captivity. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And now we go forward uh, in our scriptures to uh, the uh, prophecy of Daniel. 
<clears throat> and Daniel, of course, is uh, the prophet that uh, we know for certain experiences that he had. One of the greatest involved a bunch of lions. I'm, I, I think it's a pride, isn't it? Not a bunch. A pride of lions. And uh, Daniel was uh, in a pretty secure place because the lions couldn't open their mouths to eat him because God wouldn't allow them to do that. But if we turn to uh, chapter 9 of Daniel, uh, we begin to see some of the things that are important for our study. But if we think for just a moment, our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 verse 9 speaks of John the Baptist and what he says of John the Baptist we could say about the prophet Daniel. And the words that we read there in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel and verse 9 say, What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. Forced into circumstances that would have made it easy for him to have become a reed blowing in the wind. Daniel was different because he stood strong, even though everything was against him. Even though the captivity he'd been taken into, he started off by being offered all the best foods, you know, all the, all the sugars and the wine and all that stuff. And Daniel says, no, I'm just going to have the old vegetables, the fruit, the things that nobody else perhaps wants. And Daniel found himself in many situations where he was commanded not to pray to God. But he throws open the windows and he prays because that's what he had to do. Because God was his God. And there are many times in Daniel that we talk or that we see that he talks about the fact that he kept the commandments of the Lord. How did he know what the commandments of the Lord were? He knew because he studied the word of God. Because he listened as we spoke earlier regarding our parenting moment. He listened to what God had to say. So Daniel stands firm in these circumstances. And instead of bending and being like a reed in the wind, Daniel stood like a mighty oak tree, rooted in the Lord and defying the storms of change that raged about him. And as I say, he and his friends faced many challenges. He encountered the lions. But Daniel was loyal and faithful to his God, the Most High God. And when we face difficulties and trials in our lives, let's remember to always stand faithful to him. Daniel, we read in chapter 9 of Daniel's Gospel, we read in verses 1 and 2, I think it is. Uh, so again, if you have your scriptures open, read them, because these, these, are, these are important words. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, 
of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Well, very simply, Daniel is reading God's word. He's reading Jeremiah. Now, we've just been back to Jeremiah, and we've seen the words that are written there in Jeremiah chapter 25. God said that the people, if they disobeyed, if they didn't follow, would end up facing punishment. They would end up for 70 years in the captivity there in Babylon. And then Daniel comes along, and he's reading the scriptures, which obviously was his habit of doing so, and he suddenly realizes, hold on a moment, as he comes to chapter 25. I don't think they had the chapter headings as we do, very conveniently put together. But he's reading it, and then suddenly he begins to add up on his fingers and his thumbs, and he thinks to himself, well, the 70 years is nearly up. And he knew that because he studied God's word. And so he thinks to himself, this is exciting. I know what I'll do. I'll rush out into the street and I'll tell everybody what's going on. Is that what he did? No, it wasn't. He gets on his knees and he prays. And he confesses his sin. He confesses the sin of the people. And he asks that God would fulfill his word. And the next year, the king comes along and says to the Jewish people, you can go back to Jerusalem. You can go back to the city. When you read God's word, I often find it myself, and I'm sure you do, that it drives you to confess sin. All too often as we read the scriptures, we can come with the wrong attitude. We can be full of ourselves, can't we? And sometimes we come just wanting God's word to justify our actions. But so often we discover that it drives us to our knees in confession of sin. It humbles us as we begin to see the greatness and the glory of God. And suddenly we see that God begins to change us. And Daniel's prayer is answered and the king, King Cyrus, issues that decree that the Jews could return. And I think that's one of the most beautiful characteristics of God's word is its constant freshness. No matter how often we read it, we can always find something new to learn. And we rejoice in that. Now, if we go forward to Nehemiah chapter 8, the story continues. Sorry, not forward. We go backward this time to Nehemiah chapter 8. And the story continues, and we read just a few verses in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. 
Now, all the people gathered together in as one man. Notice the words carefully. Sometimes it's the small things in Scripture that we tend not to notice. But all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the law which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and wait for it and all who could hear with understanding. Sometimes we forget our children but all who could hear with understanding. And on the first day of the seventh month which incidentally was uh, like the new year in the Jewish calendar And then they read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until noon before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book, going down to verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people For he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then we go forward a little bit to verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them, the people, to understand the reading. So what what is it that we actually see here? Well, I'm going to suggest to you it's a very exciting scene that we have. It's a massive interactive Bible study that's taking place. We discover that the law, the scriptures are being read. Um, I suspect Ezra's platform was a little bit grander than this or it might have been a bit higher. But this is the sort of thing that we're speaking about. And this is where the concept of of a pulpit in a sense comes from or, or one of the scriptures that we have. Because when we come to the Word of God, we give it respect. And we see even here in this section of Scripture that as the Word was read, the people stood. Now, I suspect that they didn't stand for the entire time because we know that this was for a whole week that this took place. I think verse 18 explains that. But we discover that there was excitement as the people came to hear. And then we see that Ezra, as he read, he spoke and read with There was passion in his voice. And we also see that that Nehemiah and the other priests, the Levites, went amongst the people and said, do you understand what's being spoken here? Can I help you to understand what's being said? There was a wonderful sense, a wonderful feeling that was taking place. And it meant that everybody was given the opportunity to understand and to hear what was being spoken. The word, I think it's translated that is used uh, in the scriptures, perhaps in the King James Version. But it was translated, it wasn't translated from another language, it was translated from the scripture to be able to be spoken to the people so that they could understand. And it was expounded in such a way that they were able to apply it for their lives. Now, we're starting this week our uh, group studies, and uh, you should have all received a little leaflet in uh, your note, your bulletins today, and I thought I had a copy of it to, uh, 
make sure everyone saw. Um, if uh, anybody could just grab one. Yeah, I've got it. There we are. So you should have received one of these inside. And uh, as a fellowship, we've been meeting together as, uh, as elders and, uh, and deacons, for that matter. And one of the concerns that we uh, and I genuinely have is that as a fellowship, we're not spending the time that we should do in prayer and in studying the Word of God in such a way as the Scriptures would expect and, and expand and, and would encourage us to do so. And so what we're trying to uh, do for the next few months anyway is uh, we want to try and, and, uh, and study um, Paul's letter to the Colossian believers. Now, it's a wonderful letter, and uh, one of the things about that particular letter is that it speaks very clearly about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what was going on in Colossae was that uh, people were saying, you know, here's Jesus, and here are our other understandings and things that we want to believe. And they had placed it on the same level as the Lord Jesus Christ. But we never, ever do that, because our Lord is above all. And so as we begin to look at Colossians, we can see our current day situation very clearly. And we discover very simply that uh, the church in Colossae has many similarities to the church here at Norwich and to other places. Because it's easy sometimes for things to come in and we don't fully understand them. And one of the dangers is because we don't study God's word clearly as we should do. And so the little leaflet just explains to you uh, a little bit about why we meet in small groups. Small groups have a great opportunity just as the priests, the Levites, and Nehemiah himself was able to go amongst the people and to explain and to talk about what was taking place. The small groups, I hope and pray, will also be an opportunity for us to be able to interact and to ask questions, to bring information that perhaps we have gleaned and put together. And the idea also is that we want to try and encourage the weekly meeting on Thursdays to carry on the theme of Colossians. Now, each of the, um, um, the notes for the meetings in between the group meetings will be available online. So if you're not able to get to one of those meetings, you can catch up with the notes that will be available. But we'd like to encourage you to consider coming along to the midweek meeting on Thursday evenings. Um, I'm going to be quite honest and say the number of people that have been coming of recent is really very small. I'm not here to condemn or to point the finger at anybody. And I know we all live very busy lives. But one of the things I do know, and I have to say from pastoral perspective, is that studying God's word is important. Ezra made the point that all who could understand should come. And very few of our young people, there is a little handful that have been coming the last couple of weeks, so gold star to them. But... It would be good to come, and if you don't understand something, ask. And to be able to join together and looking into God's Word, I hope that we can perhaps make uh, the Thursdays a little bit more interesting. We can have some refreshments to encourage people, and, uh, and so on. And the idea is that um, uh, the meetings will, as I say, follow through, so the inside of this little leaflet will just give you a brief explanation as to what each part is. And that takes us right up to the end of April. So we have three months worth 
of uh, studies already prepared and in the pipeline, and you can see who will be leading each of those. And we're encouraging some of our elders uh, to be involved in this, as well as myself, so we're looking forward to that. And I just really encourage you to try and come, and if you can't come, then follow it up by seeing the notes online and uh, taking hold of those. So that starts from, uh, from this week, and uh, your group meeting should have been mentioned to you in an email, and if you haven't got that email, then please do contact me or Joe, and we can simply find the group that you're in and, and uh, make sure you've got all the details to be able to go along and to attend that. So very briefly, I conclude this morning by simply saying that the study of God's Word is paramount. If you want to have, and remember back to Jeremiah 25, it said that the desolation of the people meant that there was no mirth. Mirth is excitement, mirth is happiness. Uh, that there was no sound of, uh, of the bride and the bridegroom. In other words, no wedding, you know, and all the celebration that that takes place. And in our Christian lives, the place that we receive joy is when we meet together with others, like-minded, and study God's Word. When we meet together with others and pray for those in our fellowship that need help and encouragement, and we need to do that. And so, as we face different circumstances and challenges, I hope that Thursday, instead of becoming, you know, I don't want to go out, it becomes a time that I want to meet, and I want to be part of what's going on. So very quickly, we study God's Word. Why? Because God is important because God matters, and we need to know what He has to say to us. Studying the Bible is different than reading the Bible. When we read the Bible, we move through a text at a natural reading pace, but when we study the Bible, we slow down, and we begin to think things through. We ask questions, and we consider the implications in our lives. You might be able to read John's Gospel through in a couple of hours, but I'll tell you this, it'll be your whole life to even begin to understand a fraction of what's contained in John's Gospel for us. Paul said to Timothy, I think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything to Timothy 3. We discover that as we come to read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures together, we are dependent upon God to understand. A key to studying the Bible is asking the right questions. What does the word mean? What is the author's thoughts or flow of thoughts? How did the author organize and structure this text through the work of the Holy Spirit? What is the author's purpose or aim in writing this to the audience? How does this text connect to the gospel and the larger storyline of the Bible? Studying God's word leads us to the heart of God. If you're thinking to yourself, you know, I just don't get it. Well, perhaps it's because you're not trying. 
perhaps you aren't spending time studying the Word of God as you should. Paul wrote, whatever was written in former days that was written for our instructions, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15.4 The goal of studying the Scriptures is to see the Savior. We all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There are some full notes. Uh, if anybody would like them, you can go online and uh, get them. But we've not got time to go through everything. There are a few copies of these at the back of the church. And if anybody would like to take those away, then please do so. So that's what we're doing. We're starting afresh with our Bible studies on Thursday this week. Please do all you can to try and come and to be part of those groups. And of course, one of the important things is that when we meet in small groups, that means there's a lot of people praying and we'll be praying for Jace and for the Mola and our family. And I've already spoken with uh, uh, Maya Line and Aaron for your home group. And I've encouraged them to make sure that as a group, uh, you work together. And if there's anything that other groups can help you with, then they will share that with us. But we're going to uh, be praying for all of you. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that we've spoken of this morning. And as we see the wonderful connectedness of the Holy Scriptures that are presented to us, as we're able to follow through even uh, on a timeline, uh, we can see how Jeremiah had spoken, how Daniel had read the Scripture. And then we see as that Scripture is fulfilled in Nehemiah. And we know that as Nehemiah went to rebuild the walls, that there were those who sowed seeds of doubt and tried to make the people depressed by saying, oh, you can't do this. Even a fox, if it walks on the walls, it'll fall down. And we know that so often in our lives as a church, we get people who will whisper little things in our ears that make us doubt. And I pray with all my heart that we will be able to defend ourselves against these attacks that come from the enemy these little darts that get caught in our skin and they can hurt. But we would have the full armor, the protection in place that we're able to stand. So as we meet on Thursdays, I pray that it would be a great opportunity to be able to sink ourselves deeper into the Word of God and to learn more. So that we can have joy in our hearts and in our lives. So that we're able to see our way forward and to be able to make the most of all the opportunities that you give to us. And as we're able to take hold of the promises that you have, you'll never leave us, never forsake us, and apply them to all of our lives. So, Lord, bless us, we ask.